Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged, your favourite podcast in the world, or the one you're listening to right now. Either works for me. Today I'm joined by a two times British road champion and world track champion, and one of the elder statesmen of the pro peloton. I'm talking, of course, about Ben Swift. Now, what can I tell you about Ben? Well, he's a proud Yorkshireman from the town of Dinnington. And don't worry, there's a fantastic hometown quiz to look forward to. He's been riding with the Ineos Grenadiers since the inception of Sky Pro Cycling. Kind of crazy to think that there's still a couple of original Sky Riders in the World Tour. Super long careers. He also had a two-year hiatus with the UAE Team Emirates squad. And we talk about how it felt to go from marginal gains to a then very traditional Italian setup. It was pretty stark, to be honest. We spoke all about his upbringing in South Yorkshire and how he became the rider he is today by skipping school to join the local chain gang. He's got stories about his mates Adam Blythe and Geraint Thomas that you'll definitely want to hear. And he knows a thing or two about caravans. So if you're that type of listener, which is quite possible given the demographic, you don't want to miss this. So light up your camping stove, pop a tea bag in one of those metal mugs, unfold a foldable chair, grab a huge umbrella, a wind up portable speaker and sit back in moderate comfort and maybe pop a blanket over your knees because this is the Ben Swift episode. Ben Swift started bike racing when he was just three and a half years old. Yes, you heard that right. Now, if you turn pro at that age somehow, he'd already have a 32 and a half year career, with two more on the way thanks to an extension of his contract with the Ineos Grenadiers. But his path to the World Tour wasn't so straightforward. And in this podcast, Ben reflects on how what seemed like bad luck as a stagiaire turned him into the rider he is today. With two British champions jerseys, a world track champions jersey for the scratch race, two podiums in Milan San Remo and a host of World Tour wins to his name, including the stages at the Tour of California and the Tour of Romandy. But what is his favourite jam? Now, I don't actually ask him that in this podcast, but maybe you know. If you do, get in touch. In the meantime, listen to this podcast to find out loads of other stuff about one of the true gents of the peloton. Check it out. Ben, good to have you on the podcast, mate. How are you, buddy? I'm actually pretty good. Thank you. Yourself? I'm all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm Again, we were just before we came on the pod discussing how busy we both were, but I think there might be in varying degrees. Uh, maybe mm. we'll go on to that in a minute, mate. But firstly, before we do kick off, could you just describe to anybody listening where you are in the world? And also the, describe the room that you're in as well. I can see a little bit of a, of a wall. A, a bit of a wall. Well, I was trying to find quiet place, which is quite hard in this house. Uh, I'm in Yorkshire, in Sheffield, uh, looking out. It's actually got a bit of blue skies, believe it or not. I'm in my bedroom. It seems to be the quietest room in the house. So little Harry's asleep. Lizzie's got the school run in 50 minutes. So uh, stay out of that. Stay out of the way of that. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff mate no I'm, I'm looking out over yeah relatively blue sky actually in Derbyshire here so we're not that far apart mate to be perfectly honest with you we're not we're not too far apart but um, mate first things first I think it's, I need to congratulate you on another two year deal mate I mean because you are you know let's yeah. have a look I mean you've been you've been a pro now since it's very rare I interview pros these days mate you've been around for as long as you hope you don't mind me saying that but you've well, been there's not many of us left anymore <laughs> There aren't, there aren't many of you left, mate, but how does it actually feel to, to, 
to be embarking on another two years at the very top level, mate? Uh, no, I'm super happy. I think, you know, I, I actually, when we announced it, I was going to write like a bit of a Instagram message with my own little thing. But you know what? I'm pretty useless with that sort of stuff. And I have like an idea in my head what I want to say. And then I start to type it. I'm like, that sounds pretty rubbish. I'm not even not going to bother with stuff like that. So, uh, but when I was kind of thinking about it, it's like, Phew. going into year 16 and 17, that's actually, when you sit back and think about it, it's, it's a long time. Like to be doing this, riding around, to do something that you're so passionate about and lucky for going into year 16 and 17, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a weird feeling to be honest. But to be honest, I think, these last couple of years, I've kind of found a new style of myself and a new way of riding and almost not getting better with age, but perhaps, I don't know, can you use the word developing when you're this late in your career? Yeah, I think you still, can. Still progressing can, yeah. to a certain extent. Uh, you know, like you see me on the front a lot more and doing that sort of job and uh, perhaps climbing the best that I've ever climbed and just taking on that kind of team role. You know, I I still have personal ambitions. I'd love to win another race. You always, I think as a professional and as a bike rider, you always want to try and win, you know? So uh, just unfortunately, I've had to take that to the local time trial scene and just get my little winning <laughs> fix on that sort of stuff at the minute. So, <laughs> What's your local club 10, mate? Where's the nearest 10 to you? Ah, they're all over, aren't they? Uh, got one that's not actually quite a 10. It's a 9.6 or something like that. And, you know, it's good because last time I was there, Connor rode it, I beat him by about 40 seconds. So I all, that's all that matters, isn't it? Nice. It, it, it is amazing, isn't it? Especially when you speak to British riders, how of a certain age that clubbed ice... Out of all my riding, I think I used to get the most nervous for Club 10s, mate, because mm. there's a lot riding on them, isn't there? Everybody's looking at you. If you turn, rock up as a pro or a half-decent rider to a Club 10, the pressure is is on, isn't it? No, it definitely is. I mean, fortunately, I think well, the one that we do there, we're about the youngest guys by about 40 years. So if uh, if we're not winning that, then there's something, <laughs> <laughs> there's something wrong. But no, I, I love going back and like, support like when I've been back over on the Isle of Man we I try and do that like ride the little evening league or ride the club 10 I think you know just cycling it's a weird a weird job sport where we're professionals we're top of our game if you want to say that riding the Tour de France riding the Giro you can be doing that on one Saturday Sunday and then the following Saturday I can go out on my local chain gang with train drivers, postmen, teachers, young kids coming up. And you just, all right, they might see you as a pro, but you just see yourself as a normal guy just having banter, riding your bikes. And there's not many industries or sports where you can have complete amateurs doing the same three-hour ride with somebody that's in the one of the best teams in the world. You know what I mean? So... It's not many people that are going to go for a kick around with like a Premier League footballer. So it, it is, it is lovely. Like I mean, it. I think one of the words I've used. It's one of the most democratic sports out there because anybody you can. It's one of the most accessible sports out there for the fans. But if you're a rider, you, you can ride on the same roads as other riders. 
Um, and you can actually race and train with other riders locally as well. There isn't any other sport like no. it. Our our stadium, isn't it? Our venue, apart from the, well, the track similar as well, I guess you can drop in, but the roads are where we do it all and they're open to everybody. And that's what makes, makes it so unique. And I, I really enjoy, although I don't do it as much, occasionally I might drop into a local club run where I am and, you know, we've got the, um, the Derbyshire, the, the Derby club um, that I, I sometimes drop in with, but I find it massively satisfying because that's where I came from. I came through the club scene like you did, Ben, you know, and mm. I, it actually feels, I feel at home riding on, on um, with, with riders in clubs because it's a massively important part of the ecosystem in this country, isn't it? Oh, it definitely is. And I think, it's a shame because we used to have, you've probably heard of them, like the the Donny Chain Gangs and stuff like that, where I used to go out on a, I used to actually used to skive school every now and then on a Tuesday morning and go out on the local club and they were like, well, aren't you supposed to be in school? I was like, ah, no, uh, teacher training day or something like that. <laughs> Trying to get some excuse there. Do that. Tuesday morning, it was amazing. You'd have like 50, 60 people. People would take their days off on that day and go on it. And then on a Saturday, you have a, another one a bit shorter, but, to be honest, the last time I've gone on it, there's been three people. And it, it's sad because that's, you right. learn so much, you ride with so many people. I remember, funny enough, actually, I was out on my bike today and coming down one of the lanes was the opposite way. It must have been, well, it was in some of my old kicks. I was looking, I was like, who's got a grenadier kit around here? And then I realized who it was. <laughs> it was this, there's this old guy called Paul and He's a lovely guy and he just loves cycling and he follows it. He always sends me a message. I don't see him or go out on the bike with him anymore, but I always remember when I was must have been 14 or something like that, he used to lay into me and give me a rollicking week on, like all the time. Because uh, I remember we all crashed once and he said it was my fault because I was riding too close to the person in front. But okay. So he's like trying to, you know, like one of the old boys, like trying to rule the roost and just giving me a bit of a hard time but you know like now he's or even back then he was like a bit he not admired me but a, a fan and progressed and, and stuff like that you know but just seeing guys like him and it kind of made me smile to see that he's still out riding his bike and, and enjoying it and that's going back poor 25 years ago I remember laying in a ditch and he stood over me saying see he told you not to ride too close I was like they all just breaks in front <laughs> What was it your fault, mate? Nah, they all braked in front. I don't know what they were braking for. <laughs> uh, it's cool. It is, it's, I love that. Though. That's that's a really lovely little story. Um, I, I I was on an event a few weeks back. No, actually, a couple of months back. Back in June, actually, down in the Chiltern, so Berkhamsted, Hemel Hempstead area, where where I was from, and I was at this cafe with this group of people that had basically paid to come on this ride, and it was a really lovely day. And I bumped into one of my old teammates from the 1980s a guy called John Dowling and I used to go on hot runs to youth hostels back in the day in the 1980s when I, when I was first coming out but to bump into him again we talk we are literally talking for yeah for 35 40 years later it's really special mate mm. to keep those relationships I think is we talk about the history of the sport don't we a lot of the time like the, the early days of the tour the Giro the classics but then the history of the sport for me and for people brought up in in in, in England is the club scene, mm. isn't it? And it's, I, I, it, it really makes me it, like more than nostalgic. It's enormously important because without him and the people that actually inspired me and taught me how to ride my bike in a group, without really, without telling me, it just happens, mm. doesn't it? 
they're the people that are are actually enormously important in part of my, my cycling journey. No doubt, no doubt, yours, mate, as well. No, hundred percent. And it's those guys, you know, that they were never professional. They just did it week in, week out. They'd be there, more guards, just what you call like real traditional cyclists, and they just loved it. And I think also like, I think Yorkshire. It's always been a bit of a hotbed for cycling. I remember growing up, uh, John Tanner used to live down the road from me. Chris Walker lived around the corner. Obviously, I had the Downing brothers in the next village down. Uh, Mark Walsham, all these sort of guys in and around me. And I was only super young. And just to have these sort of people, they were like the big... Sort of like when people grow, uh, say to me, oh, who was your idol growing up and stuff like that? expecting me to say like Pantani or somebody it's like well not really it was like these guys who were sent so close to me and so like feasible for what I could be doing then I never expected yeah. to be going on and past that you know but I think having such a hotbed of cycling like that you saw it with like the group rides and how many uh, okay we call them chain gangs and club runs and stuff like that but it's not always a chain gang is it it's just more of a just a big massive group going out Sunday morning same place same route you, everyone knows where they're going and I'd love to see it come back certainly around here I think that was like you said before it was a massive part of my developing cycling my parents knew where I'd go they they trusted the, the groups that I was with so they'd let me go my dad would come every now and then but uh just what you learn on there, riding two by two, 20 guys in front, you know, it's, it's a skill in itself to, to ride like that and to be to be learning like that. I think it's it's a shame that it's becoming fewer and far between. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think ironically, there are more and more people on bikes, but it's quite disparate. People are quite spread out doing their own thing, which is fine, but it's that's not where you you learn your craft. And I think the club scene is relatively healthy, but the, just the spread of right is quite different. And a lot mm. of the... A lot of clubs are actually finding it a little bit difficult to get youngsters in, which is a bit of a, which is more than a shame. But on the other hand, there's a lot of clubs that are doing quite well. But but cycling is different now. Forty years later, or thirty years later, from when you started, mate, cycling. No, is, exactly. It is it, different, isn't it? Well, everybody's racing, aren't they? You've got Zwift. Uh, what's the other one? Strava. Everybody goes out for a purpose now, and I think that actually, you're seeing the shift in traditional cycling as well as like you're seeing it in professional cycling like there's no longer where you start everybody has a chill early break goes uh, then we progress off and get faster it's just flat out from start to finish now and the whole training's different the racing's different so actually the shift and the change that we're seeing in normal club cycling is actually happening in the pro cycling at the same time without maybe not realising it yeah, yeah. There, there, there's been a lot of change, especially over the last few years. I'm going to ask you about that in a bit more detail, Ben, in a minute, because as, as I say, the level of the sport across the board is ridiculously high for multiple reasons, and it is a common theme on the pod, on, on my pod and in any other discussions. This just the, the new scene now. I want to talk about that in a minute and how you're kind of coping with that. But what I also want to do first is just go back in time a little bit to the the early days of you actually racing because you were racing with Geraint back in the day Adam Blythe who was only across the mm. across the way from you so can you remember can you remember your first ever bike race because there are a few pictures knocking about online of you like two two and a half foot high oh. you know uh, race or three foot yeah, I mean 
Can, you were quite young when you actually started racing, weren't you? Yeah, really young. I, uh, there's a photo of it. Uh, don't even know there was any video back then. But uh, I was actually three and a half around Rother Valley oh. Country Park. Three right. and a half, yeah. <laughs> and it was uh, under, like, they didn't have age categories. They just had, like, youth and whatever. And I've got a picture of I'm on the start line. My dad's at the side of me riding and probably came last. But obviously that's a very, very distant memory. But I remember uh, racing around, like, doing my first time on the velodrome. We did the BCF challenge. And then you got to the, go on the velodrome straight after that and got quite a cool picture, actually. I'm on the podium underneath and then Cav has won his category above and he's on the podium above like there's two photos in the in the cycling weekly and then everybody went on the velodrome after and then from there it just it just progressed and yeah it's it's a it's a, isn't it it's an amazing story but you yeah have like i said there are quite a few pictures i know when i would Blythe is obviously a friend of the pod did the cafe ride with adam and he did roll out some pictures of you and him um were you did you live down the road to each other were you quite were you did you live quite close as well uh, yeah, uh, probably takes forty minutes to ride, so not super close, not on like uh, not on the doorstep, but uh, we'd always, yeah, we first time I met him, we just instantly clicked, and I remember we were up at a place called Lightwood, where it was like an old abandoned, I don't know what it is, but it had sort of like tracks all around it and stuff like that so they made it you did skills in one little bit they yeah. just they did better practicing and then we did like different races handicaps or mascot or whatever it was like two or three races a night just for different kids and uh i met adam for the first time our parents got on and me and him just went off we just was racing we were both quite good i think we both just accelerated and went away and sort of racing each other uh and then we found like these jumps in the back and we must have been on these jumps first time we met each other for about I don't know two hours uh, we completely forgot to tell our parents and stuff like that and next thing they're like come in searching for us and found us and we've just been on these jumps for like two hours <laughs> and I think just from then it just our friendship just just grew and you know we we're always around each other's house so always going to events together and stuff like that and then ultimately you're <clears throat> in different teams but riding in the water all together and it's a it's a heck of a story I mean and when you do look back on that time, because you were racing for such a long period of time, you're part of the early academy structure, weren't you, as well, with uh, with Rod. Mm. At what point in your, can you remember, Ben, that you actually said, right, I actually want to do this as a career? Because obviously it was for, when you're racing that young and even into like your early teens, it's just great fun, isn't it? I mean, it, you, it's just cycling is is something you do because you absolutely love it. But at what point yeah. did you did you feel that, do you know what, this could be something that I, I can actually do as a career? I, it was quite of a strange one, really. I think even when I was on the academy, you never, you never really saw it as, as like a pathway or anything like that. I think what we've got to remember is like, there wasn't really that many people. You know, like if you look back now, we've got an amazing like pool of riders. I think on our... Yeah we've got like a WhatsApp group with the British cycling of all like the world tour and pro quality riders. I have, there'll be close to 40 riders on there, which is, which is just incredible now. But when we were younger and we were growing up, we didn't, 
have that many people to to aspire to. So it didn't, you know, like if you were Belgium or French or or stuff like that, it was it was kind of yeah you could decide that you wanted to do that if you were good enough. But yeah. for me, I just enjoyed riding my bike, and it was something that just came natural to me. It was I was never I was good at running at school. I enjoyed that. I was terrible at football and rugby. I was terrible at school, to be honest. I didn't. Right. I wasn't naughty or anything, but I just didn't enjoy being there. I just was not interested. And I remember, like, some of my teachers, they're like, oh, you know, you got to pay attention because you, can, you can't do cycling for a job and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, well, I never actually thought, never once said, oh, I'm going to be a professional cyclist. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. It was just always something that felt natural and, I knew that I wanted to to do it wherever it led. Yeah. And then I think going through the through the ranks and stuff like that like winning races, winning national titles and just it was what I was good at growing up, you know. It was my it was my thing even just playing around on the streets, doing the jumps and stuff. It was what I was kind of naturally naturally good at. So progressing on and then I think the real first time that it hit me like I'd been junior, I'd been at the World Championships and all that sort of stuff, but you never really still feel that it's possible to do that. But that second year on the academy uh, was the first time that I thought, actually, you know what, I can, if I keep progressing like this, then there is a, a possibility here. And then I stagiered and then got that. And then when I got my first pro contract, it was like, Phew. It was a bit of a weird, a weird feeling, you know, because you never, you never thought it was going to happen, so you didn't expect it. So it almost just happened in a weird, natural way. So you, you were almost—is it fair to say—just doing the best you could, but looking at the here and the now rather than constantly thinking ahead to what could be? It's just like I'm, and then living in that moment and being the best you could led to good results, which ultimately led to something the next natural step but it wasn't something that you always had in mind that wasn't your focus it was just being in that moment is that fair yeah, to say yeah no definitely you know I knew that I didn't want to be anything else I didn't want to go to university to study anything I didn't want to go to college to study something I didn't have ambitions to be a, a postman or a fireman or anything like that I I wanted to be a cyclist but I never it wasn't clear how that path was going to unravel. I just, like you said, I just focused in that moment and just progressed. And it's just something that I was so passionate about and just was good at that. It's just, that's what I did, you know, and luckily for me, yeah, it, it's worked out. Yeah, it has. I mean, here you are. I'm just going to go, but I'm glad I am going to go on pro cycling stats, mate, and just make sure I'm, I'm got all my facts right. Yeah. So you started off at Barlow World, didn't you? That was your first, and you were there as a stagiaire with, with as a stagiaire, um, yeah, with Geraint, with Garay, yeah. with Geraint. Well, what Garay. was that like back in the day? I mean, again, there are pictures. Good, you look so. Yeah, obviously, you are young, but two thousand and seven. Yeah. What are your memories of that stagiaire? Because that's a big step, isn't it? Getting a, a crack at riding in one of the biggest teams at the world at the time. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I remember. Uh, so my first year uh, on the academy. I was I was like really small and underdeveloped. I think I I was fifty two kilos when I joined the academy. Uh, wow. Okay. And I took it. I was good on the track. I remember 
G telling me off for always attacking and stuff like that. We we're racing the Dortmund Cynics and he's like, just stop attacking. I was like, no, no, we're all right, we're good, we're good. Uh, he crashed and had a lay down. I think he just needed a rest, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> so that that first that first year on the academy, I was really good on the track, but struggled on the road. But pushed through, finished all my races uh, and tried. But it was that real that that second year. I got a good winter. I developed a rot as a rider, and I remember we came out first race of the season. Me and Stanard, we got in the breakaway. And we just dictated what we wanted to do, which was like, in the race, we kind of looked at each other, we're like, wow, we've took a, a massive step here. And Stanard yeah. went away with one other guy, he won the race, and then I won the group sprint. So there's like two of us on the podium in the first race of our second season. And it was from that moment where it was like, okay, we're we're progressing now, we're we're into the rhythm, we're accepted by the Italian scene, because that first yeah. year, we we really wasn't. And then I remember in June, I think it was, we were at the Track Europeans in Cottbus and we were chatting, chatting, and I was with Rod and he kind of knew, at that time it was, you were only really on the academy for two years and then you kind of went off and did stuff and there was this opportunity uh, to sign a contract with what back then was going to be Slipstream when they first came out. Uh, okay. So they've got, I guess, their EF education now. Yeah. Uh, it was a new team they were started in 2008 they were looking for riders I heard they had good riders but they couldn't tell me too much so at that same time I had that offer for, for two years as a, as a first pro contract but at the same time I got a stagiaire offer from Baller World uh, and at that moment in time like you said before Baller World was one of the best teams it was the best pro conti team but holding its own in the top tier as well, you know, they just won, yeah. or they were leading the King of the Mountains with, was it Mark uh, Soler? Soler? Soler, yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, yeah. A different, a different, oh, different it, I think it now. was a different Mark Soler, but the same, yeah, yeah. Same name, yeah. So they were like, obviously holding their own. I knew Garant was there. Uh, I was like, you know what? It's too good of an opportunity to miss, to ride with this yeah. team. And if I do a good enough job, like you should get a contract. And remember going there to my first race was Kamiori. Actually, we started a stage at the Giro in that exact same field this year, so it was quite wow. Okay, yeah, quite quite weird. Like looking back, I was messaging Rod because I remember I stepped out the car and the team manager at Barlowell just saw me and I looked so young. I had like a shaved head because we couldn't afford haircuts back then, so we all cut <laughs> each other's hair on the academy. <laughs> so, Brilliant. <laughs> so I had a shaved head, like full of spots. And he just looked at me and he's like, what the hell? Like, he, he thought I was like 15 or something. Anyway, like, we raced and everything. I, I, I thought I did good. Uh, did my jobs and all that sort of stuff with uh, with them. Won the King of the Mountains in Tour of Britain. So, won a jersey yeah. as a stagiaire. And then, in like late October time, they said, oh, no, sorry, we're not going to take you. And it turns out the last place went to the manager's son. So, it was a bit like, oh, you know, it's like, with that, yeah, yeah. yeah, with that in mind, I was like, oh, you know what? And I remember sitting down speaking with Rod. And he's like, look, just come back on the academy. We'll do another year and we'll learn how to win races rather than just do it as progression, like really come back, lead like lead the academy and stuff like that. And and that's what we did. So I had a great time at that stage year. And 
I think if any other under any other circumstances, I would have signed and then turned pro. But looking back, I think it was the best thing that ever happened. I think physically, I was only what would I have been nineteen, which sounds normal now, but back then it wasn't really that normal to That's be pretty young. turning pro at nineteen and stuff like that. So it was, it was the for everything happens for a reason, and for that reason, it was kind of worked out in the better that I didn't sign pro that year. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? When you look at things in retrospect, things that at the time you're like, oh no, shit, what, what the hell's mm. happened? But I guess, yeah, things do happen for a reason and that it's quite a, maybe a bit glib, a bit of a common statement, but ultimately they do. When you look at what you've achieved since then, you look at your trajectory. Um, and sometimes when you factor in, even like injuries in a career, when you, when you look at how awful they are at the time, but then, or even an illness that, holds you back from overtraining and you come back even fresher. And then it, it, it is funny how, how cycling or sport ebbs and flows like that. Oh. But here you are now with another two, staring, you know, another two years at, at the highest level, mate. It, it is, and I think in terms of longevity, um, and Geraint's even older than you, isn't he? Blimey. Uh, hope, yeah. he hope he doesn't listen to this, but yeah. Like two, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit older, a little bit older than you. But before we sort of move on into the... Um, to the later years, it was your first World Tour team, just for people listening, was it was Katusha, wasn't it? It was a two year mm. deal, but you did break it early, didn't you? To ultimately yeah. go to Team Sky, yeah. Well, it was, yeah, at that moment, as I say, we went back, Rod said, come back on the academy, learn to lead and learn learn how to win because, oh, sorry, it's, there's one thing learning how to race your bike and learning that side of it, but. Nobody actually learns how to win by going into these races and getting given the opportunity to to wait for the final and play your cards and learn how to do that different role. And I think that year, yeah. I only won three races, but I had mad stats for, we did like 50 or 60 days of racing. And I think I had like 35 top fives, something like that. So I was always kind of Blimey. in the mix and there and about... Uh, yeah, we looked at it uh, a while back. But then, obviously, I was fourth in the Worlds, fourth in the Euros, so, like, just missing, you know, but always just, like, chipping there. Uh, went to the Olympics, which was quite weird to be on the academy and then riding the Olympic road race was was quite mad. So, like, <laughs> looking back, it, yeah, you know, yeah. like, you think from the disappointment from not getting that pro contract and thinking, oh, it's the end, to then having that chat with Rod and then going there, winning the race has been consistently at the head of the race and then going to the Olympics and being up there in the worlds and Euros and stuff. It was actually, that was the right decision and that was the right thing to do. And then I remember crossing the finish line in the worlds and going straight onto the, it was Tinkoff at that time, but going onto their team bus and just yeah. signing my contract. And I was just, it was just surreal, you know, like, from riding the under 23 wheels to finishing it, signing a contract, then you knew that you were going to be pro. And it was just, it's almost like a, a sigh of relief and knowing that it's done. And obviously met a lot of fantastic guys there. Some of my idols that I was growing up with. And it was Pizzato was there with you. He led you out for that, yeah. that win in the, t in the Tour of Britain, didn't he? Yeah, I, I really, really, he was like one of the guys who was, I was like kind of starstruck to see him and, him and Robbie McEwen, but both of them, 
just like looked after me, took me under their wing, uh, taught me so much. And for such big, like iconic riders like that, they treated and showed me a lot of respect, which was, which for me, it was quite, quite amazing, really. And then obviously, yeah, he, uh, at that tour of Britain, I actually remember speaking with, with the lead DS and he was like, you know, the team's really happy with you. You've had a great year. Uh, I know you've got a two-year contract, but if you have another good riding tour of Britain, we we'll, we want to like break your contract and extend and and do a new contract. And I was thinking, oh shit, I kind of know. I've already spoke to like like the other guys, and I know that yeah. there's this new British team coming about. I know there've been talks of it and stuff like that, but the first time really there's going to be a big British core and a big British team with, with ambitions to do this big thing. I was like, how can you, how can you not want to be a part of that? Like, you know, it's like, even from the start, I was like, yeah, like let's do what we can do. And then at that moment, and then I won that stage and I was like, oh, like shit, this is, (laughs) this is going to be. So uh, in the end that all, yeah, that's a, that's a difference. All got sorted out and yeah, signed for Sky and, yeah, I think that was pretty amazing, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was a nice problem to have, but I do remember Ben actually reading. It was kind of before we had like cycling news, really, or, the, or there was a lot of stuff mm. on the internet. I remember reading it probably in Cycling Weekly about, you know, Katusha weren't overly happy, but of course they weren't because you were a great rider. And But it's one of those things, I guess, It looking back, it was a nice problem to have, but here you are now, mate. But it is one of those things, isn't it? You know, imagine thinking that, winning another bike race is a problem you know it's it's, it's not, mm. not not a bad problem to have but it must have been a briefly a little bit of a difficult time mint but hey and you and then here you are like what is it so how many so save for two years uh when you went over to UE for a couple of seasons mm. you've been with sky since the inception 2010 to tw- and you will start. be with them for tw- 2025 mate and that's incredible isn't it uh, and and they've the squad of sunset. So the only guy that's been there longer really, Salvatore, isn't it? And Geraint, isn't it? No, we've been, me and Puccio got the same years, but he's oh, right, just okay. done it consistently because he, so he, he started in twenty twelve, didn't he? He started twenty twelve, yeah. So yeah, really. I mean, I just went on holiday for two years, didn't I? Just went on yeah. a paid holiday, so. <laughs> well, we'll uh, yeah, we'll um, yeah, that's. Um, yeah, it's it's. You still got some good results in that team, and off the, I mean, and I guess that the amount of time that you'd spent um, at Sky and, and the results that you'd had, especially in in some of the well, you, you're winning races, especially in Milan San Remo, they took you as a, as a as a rider potentially to win big races, mate. And you, I guess you weren't necessarily the leader all the time at, at Sky, I guess. So, so do, do you well, look no. back at that as another important part because it. I guess you need to experience the other side sometimes to realise that maybe where you were more at home. No, definitely. I mean, I'm happy I, I made that move. I think it put me outside my comfort zone. I think it was the right thing to do at that moment in time. And, you know, I wanted to... Sorry, Dario Cioni's ringing me. <laughs> uh, the uh, Yeah, so looking back, it was... I was kind of in a difficult place. You know, I had no objections about riding for the team and, and giving my best for the team and especially like some of my good friends. But I think that year I got five second places before April, but all in 
big like big races so we had a second in tour down under a second in paris nice uh, a second in san remo a second in catalonia and a second in another race somewhere yeah. but on each each of all of them apart from san remo had had to do a job before so like right. certainly that paris nice was it was the paris nice at g1 i think and we're on the dirt roads and stuff like that and the whole objective, which was the right call, was to look after G, make sure that he got safe. So I remember I was like riding on the front doing everything that we were doing. And at 3K to go, they came over the radio. I was like, right, Swifty, good job. Uh, 3K to go, we're safe now. If you want, you can do the sprint. I was like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty tired now. Like you could have told me that like 5K ago or something. And then I think like... I got second, but by like the smallest of margins. I was like, you know what? I need, I think now is the time. Because yeah. I've been talking about it a little bit before each contract cycle, you know, you get offers and stuff like that. You have a chat, but it's very unlikely that you were going to go anywhere. But it was this moment where I was like, if I don't do it now, and if I don't take the opportunity to see if I can be better, not not be better, but if I don't have to use my energy and do a team role, if I can solely focus on the finish, could I win these races? Am I? Yeah. Is there more to give? And I think, unfortunately, uh, UAE is not the team now as what it was back then. You know, like when I was there, it was still very much Lamprey, and that's nothing yeah. against Lamprey, but they just had a very old school, different way of. Well, it was definitely things. Cerrone's team, wasn't it? Then it was really, it was very a traditional Italian team, essentially, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like from what I'd gone, it was like going back ten years, even if not more. You know, and right. you know, I, I sort of to not lose motivation, but you know, without the structure, without the training, without everything around it, and I, I, th- I think I get on with a lot of people and. I'm quite like an open person and, and stuff like that. But just having that different culture shock was, it was noticeable. And it it's a not a drain on you, but, you know, I, I saw a very bit of a divide in the, in the team there and stuff like that. Whereas I don't feel like we have it in, whether like I'm just in the center, not in the center, but, you know, like kind of bring people in and, and stuff like that. But it was a bit of a challenge uh, at the start. Individually, everybody was fine and stuff like that. But you know, when everybody's like that group and they kind of fast flowing and talking and stuff like that, you, you do notice yourself kind of step back. So maybe that's also like helped me now, like this towards this later in my career. I understand like how hard it is for somebody that's not a an English speaker or you know that that other side of it. Everybody when they got on the bike, they know what they're doing and they're doing their job and stuff like that. But it's the other side, isn't it? That is is the harder bit. Yeah, totally. I mean, <clears throat> and each team has its own identity, the way it races. Obviously, a lot of that is that the spirit of the team is determined by the staff, the leadership. Also, sponsors have an influence. And uh-huh. and in, some teams have a real cultural dif- difference in the way they do things. And, and often that's driven by language, especially the French, less so the Italians teams now, because there aren't as many, but the Spanish teams as well. And in, back in my amateur days, I went to a French team um, and... 
it w- wasn't a bad decision because I spent three good years there. But for the first six months, it was just like you were just racing was fine, but the the other side of it, just French, it, you you uh. you did feel not ostracized, but you felt as if you're going to have to work really really hard to, to to incorporate. But then, as you say, the flip side of that is when you get more mature and you you've been around a bit, you can see that in other riders or other members of a team. And you kind of want to make them feel welcome. So I think you do learn a lot from that experience without a shadow of a doubt, which is massively important in relation to how a team gels together. No, oh, 100%. Right. I think at this po- this juncture, um, Ben, before, so we've looked back over your, your career so far a little bit. We want to look forward and actually to the here and now next. But before we do that, it is time for the Dinnington Quiz. Oh, here we go. Yo, yo, what's up? You're ready? <laughs> Let's do it. Ta-ta, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Dinnington quiz. Here you go, mate. So that, there you go. That's our Fresh introduction. Jing- <laughs> Excuse me. So I don't know if you've listened to the pod, um, but... We, we have a hometown quiz. This is the hometown quiz. That's why I texted you the other day and asked where you were brought up, mate, okay? So we've got four questions for you, all about Dinnington or loosely based around Dinnington. All right. But we're not going to put you too much on the spot. It's multiple choice answers, so you can just choose the answer you think's right, okay? Let's go for it. It's a good job I didn't know where from then, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right, Okay. Question number one, Ben. Um, and yeah, no going on your phone, no going on the internet. Okay. Dinnington Town Football Club play in what football association non-league league? So they're a non-league club. They're quite a new mm. club, actually. Only formed in 2000. Um, but what league do they play in? Okay. Is it A, the Screwfix Northern Northern Counties East League. So the Screwfix Northern Counties East League. Is it B, the Aldi Central Midlands League? Is it C, the Abacus Lighting Central Midlands League? Or is it the ABC Sofas Northern Counties Alliance? <laughs> so the Screwfix Northern. It's either A or D. A or D, so the Screwfix Northern Counties East League, or D, the ABC Sofas Northern Counties Alliance. Okay, I don't know which if we're one are you going to go for? East. I'm going to go D because we're just, I'd say North. Yeah, let's go D. Okay, it's incorrect. Oh, is it? <laughs> I just made that up. It's not the ABC Sofas, it's the Abacus Lighting Central Midlands League. Central Midlands? Yeah. Really? Apparently so, yeah. I honestly sure don't know um, why that is. I would, when I was looking at that, I thought surely it's a Yorkshire, but it's Central Midlands and Dinnington, mate. I mean, that's. Are you got the right Dinnington? I have, I have indeed. Are you sure? Yep, I can. Um, I've yeah, got manager. it right, mate. But yeah, South Yorkshire is is part of the Midlands still. It's like yeah, weird, mate. Well, to be honest, oh, yeah. There we go. Learn something new every day. Okay, yeah, I was a bit surprised, but anyway, so you still got plenty of time, mate. Don't worry, you can, you can. Yeah, pull but that this was back. too new. That was two thousand from two thousand. You know, I'm, when I used to roam these streets, it was younger. Roam these streets like that. Uh, I can <laughs> imagine Ben sort of roaming the streets of Dinnington uh, with his little gang of mates. Right, the Dinnington Colliery Band, so a brass band from the mines back in the day, 
uh, was formed in 1904 and is still going today. Okay, they've got a, they've got a strong presence. But my question to you: Which caravan company sponsored them between 1987 and 1990? So the Dinnington Colliery Brass Band was sponsored by a caravan mm-hmm. company. Okay, who was it? Was it A. Jim Swift Caravans, B. South Yorkshire Caravans, C. Dinnington Caravans, or D. Toby Moorcroft and Sons Caravans? <laughs> I'm going to say South Yorkshire Caravans. That's correct, mate. Well done. Good lad. So that's good knowledge. Did you think the others were just made up? Because they are. Well, I know Swift Caravans, but I didn't know it was called Jim Swift. I thought that was just a no. bit of a piss take. Yeah, I just added the gym on. I didn't write. Yeah, okay, there yeah. We go. So, so South York. Well, well done. See, back South, on track. And now, actually, South Yorkshire Caravans is. It's not actually South Yorkshire. It's just a shop named South Yorkshire Caravans, which is local. Oh, right. <laughs> so you I know think, the shop? I think. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's massive. Yeah, yeah. Have you bought a car? Have you bought a car? Are you a caravan type person? Uh, I've not bought one, but. Actually, we might have bought one when I was younger. Not me fit personally, but. I've been in there. I've been in the grounds. Flipping it. That's quite a, quite a cool little. So normally on these questions, there's some somebody's been in one of the pubs or somebody's. So that there is. I'm glad that you've. Well, good good caravan knowledge basically. There we are. Right. Question At least three. We now and know it's the right Dinnington as well. It, indeed, yeah. So it's, I've definitely not been looking at the the yeah. Dinnington uh, just outside of flipping Wolverhampton or something like that. If there is yeah, one yeah. down there. Uh, right. I actually did that once, Ben. Back in about. Quick segue, back in 1996, I'd entered a road race, a local road race, and um, you know when you used to get the race programme in an envelope and it used yeah. to tell you where the village hall was, all that sort of stuff, maybe a little bit before your time, but anyway, that I got this envelope, opened it up, and it said this town name, village name. I put it, looked it up in the Atlas, did my little Atlas. route, drove there in the morning. Uh, yeah, an at- road Atlas, and... Went to the wrong one. Turned up at like 9am in the village hall. Nobody there. And waited for like half an hour. Nobody there at all. And then I looked at the Atlas and there was two place names exactly the same. And I was 150 miles away from the, from the oh, right Jesus. place. So I just went home. Anyway, <laughs> let's always check. Always check. Yeah, exactly. Right, question three. On what road in Dinnington is Greg's the Bakery? There's one Greg's in Dinnington apparently. Mm. Is it on Outgang Lane, A, B, Monkridge Road, C, Noble Way, or D, Common Road? So Greg's in Dinnington, Outgang Lane, Monkridge Road, Noble Way, or Common Road? And all but those th- roads This is are a trick question together. because yeah. <laughs> that place where it is, it used to be called Ford Corner. It used to be a crossroads. Ah, okay. It's now a roundabout, and it's got Monksbridge Farm, which is a pub. Uh, it's now a jet station, but right. it's right in the middle of the curvature. Tell me the names again. Outgang. Outgang Lane. That's straight, I think. Yeah, Monkridge Road. I'm going to say Common, Common Road. Common Road. Common Road. Are you sure? Are you sure? Is that your final answer? Tell you what, do you yeah. want to... Um, you can't phone Google. a friend. I mean, would, would think Dario Choni would know? Definitely not. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm going to take two answers away. I'm right, going to take 50, away 50, common road. Go. What is this like? Uh, who's got a bill meal? Yeah, fifty-fifty. Yeah, who, who's going to, who's going to want to be a millionaire? I can't remember. Yeah, what but it, I just but told you my two answers. Who I thought they were going to be. So you can't give me them two now. 
Well, I'm going to do it anyway because I, I just I want to help you out. No, it's not Noble Way and it's not Common Road. Is it Outgang or Monkridge? Outgang. Correct. Good lads. There we are. There we go, mate. <laughs> okay. Right. Final question. <clears throat> so you got two two right actually. So doing right, yeah. mate. You're on you're heading towards a potential seventy five percent score, which is very high. Just ask me a right. bonus one, then I can make it up. Here we go. Right. Okay. On the Dinnington Wikipedia page, okay, yes, it has a Wikipedia page, mm -hmm. there's one photograph, okay, only one photograph, but what is the photograph of, okay? You can just give me a description out of the ones that I've got here. Okay, so on the Dinnington Wikipedia page, there's one solitary photo. Mm -hmm. Is it A, of Dinnington bus station, B, a random road of Dinnington in the fog, C, a man at... Dinnington bus stop at a Dinnington bus stop or D the Rotherham College of Arts and Technology so is it Dinnington bus station Dinnington in the fog a man at a Dinnington bus stop or the Rotherham College of Arts and Technology which is actually in Dinnington weirdly mm. I uh, gonna say funny if I went to that college for a couple of Did days you? a week yeah oh, right. well, what, 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 what were you doing half a year I know, something that I've got made to do. I just <laughs> I wasn't interested. Uh, A, the Dinnington bus station. I'm sorry, it's incorrect. It was Dinnington in the fog, mate. It is just, really? it, I'm, I'm just mate, I'm looking at it now. I'm going to have to have a look. Honestly, because just put in Din it, Dinnington, it South not, Yorkshire on Wikipedia. It might not be and a then, random or, road. It's just, it says Dinnington in the fog, and it's just a random road. In the fog, it's it's almost as if somebody's done it for a laugh. <laughs> Wikipedia, here we go. Dinnington, South Yorkshire. Yeah, scroll down. Just Dinnington Why in the I fog. I've got no pictures. History. Oh, there's no. Yeah, it's because oh, you're yeah. looking at it on your mobile. Yeah, right? that's that picture. Yeah, that's Dinnington High Street. It's... That's not a random road. <laughs> But it's just in the. I like the way it's just in the fog. It doesn't yeah, actually say Dinnington High Street. Seventy-five percent of the year. <laughs> the foggiest place in South Yorkshire. Anyway, that great stuff, mate. Shop there. That is the best pizza shop you're ever going to have. First stop pizza. That's really? childhood memories. That. Yeah. What's your what? What would you go for if when you're going in that pizza place? What was your? What would be your your go to? Oh, it was always uh, people Ghana's favourite Hawaiian. Hawaii. People are going to like, he's an Italian, he likes Hawaiian pizza. Yeah, well, it's on the pod now, isn't it? So. Flipping heck, mate. Oh, yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> we need to move on from that from that bombshell, mate, don't we? Right, you've got... Okay, let's hear it from that studio audience. 50% score for Ben Swift. That thanks, Round of applause from that studio audience. There you go, mate. Good lad. <laughs> right. That wasn't bad, actually. And we learned a little bit more about Dinton. It's foggy and, well, people kind of likes pineapple and ham, flipping out. Yeah, well, a bit scarred maybe not. Maybe right. not. But... Well, we'll just leave it at that. I think that's the best thing to do. Right. Moving on to the present day, mate. And, and again, I'll, you've got another two years, as we've talked about. Um, how have you adapted to this, this new way of racing? I, I know from talking to one of a guy that, was one of the coaches of the team, Simon Jones, a few few years ago, we're talking six or seven years ago, I had a chat with him about the team 
and and he said that you regularly posted the the best sort of training scores. He said you were just somebody that could was one of the reasons, apart from being a great bike rider, you were always in the team is because you were consistent from the beginning of the year to the end. You were ridiculously reliable, but could tolerate big training loads, and therefore you could go to the hardest races and just be there all the time. Which yeah. is a you know it's um you could obviously win races, but of late you've just been part of the. Like you, you and Salvatore, I think the two, the two of the best examples of just riders that are just there, that just all the time you know that 100 percent you're going to do the role, yeah. um, which is more than what you, which is basically what you've, which you've been doing for the last couple of years, especially at the Giro, where I know you've got some fond memories and where we bumped into each other a few times. But yeah, how have you, how have you adapted to this this new way of racing? Because it is everybody's saying it's just it's brutal, and a lot of the older riders are saying that it's really hard to adapt to. But you seem to have settled into that role really well i mean um or yeah, into, I mean, settled into it really how, how are you adapting i don't know to be honest i think you just do it you know you just i think it all goes down to your basics you just got to be professional and be ready to work hard in training and listen to your coaches uh i actually even though it's a lot faster uh, I prefer this style of racing now. It, it's much more entertaining, more... Uh, even in the race, you're not really getting bored anymore. I remember sometimes you'd just be plodding along and you'd be like, this is taking forever now. But now yeah. there's always something happening and you just got to almost expect the unexpected. But in terms of handling it myself, I think it's just down to that training. And I think... For me personally, I, I enjoy riding my bike. I enjoy the training aspect of it. And I enjoy doing like the new training, really, like the new ideas and stuff like that. And I think it's just staying present and staying in the in the moment and and being ready to work to work hard not only in training but in the race as well, you know. And then also like the fueling side of it. I work a, a lot more closely with the nutritionists and stuff now, whereas we've seen a massive change in, in that side of it. You know, like it's gone from not eating anything to eating a little bit before or a little bit after to then make sure you're eating enough after so you're recovering. Now it just seems to be like eat as much as what you can to like fuel this massive bike. high high yeah. end, yeah, on the bike and off the bike, you know. it's. Uh... But in terms of like, I think it's just... I don't know how to. I just do it. So Weird, in terms of weirdly, so, in so clearly training has shifted, racing patterns have shifted, and the fueling one is a topic that regularly talk about uh, or talked about with um, with a couple of riders um, recently, um, taking on a lot of carbs on the on the bike. But and then you mentioned the word new ideas in terms of training. So you're obviously the coaches know know what they're doing that they that they look at your race program, look at what the, what the demands of the sport are and how you fit into that. So, and you're just given that and you do it. So there's this, a relative simplicity to that, but how much have these new ideas, have you looked at them and thought, this is really quite different? I mean, because the adaptations that Rods have had to make over the last couple of years, especially if you've been around for a while, are they enormously different or describe what these new ideas in training are and how, from a practical point of view, it changes what you do when you're out training on your bike, mate? Because that'd be I'm quite interested to hear what that is. I think, so I think the biggest thing for me is 
that you're generally more fit all the time rather than having your big massive ups and downs so your baseline fitness like is a lot better so then you need to be putting like the harder efforts in perhaps doing more intensity and not as much you know like these massive long seven seven hour rides long no eating before it's kind of gone out the window because we don't race like that anymore we don't we don't have that stranglehold on the peloton and stuff so like kind of all that what used to be sort of like a base session like a sub session is kind of what your your base of your training is now so that would be your base ride and then you're doing the efforts on the the top of of that really so i think we're training harder and more intense but maybe not needing to do the long the long sort of like numbing stuff really yeah in one way to say it and then I think for me, I've, this last couple of years, I've added a lot more variety into my training, like not just on the bike sort of stuff, but a lot of off the bike stuff. I remember last, sort of like maybe the last three years, I've added like a bit more running, a bit more swimming, a bit a bit of bobs, a bit of gravel riding, just keeping yeah. like that enjoyment in, like re reigniting that. So it's, and I think what you're seeing now with a lot of the young guys, they're having fun on the bike. And that side of it is almost like outweighing like certain stuff. And people used to think, oh, you couldn't train just off of this, like on the mountain bike or the cyclocross bike or, or running or something like that. Whereas on that, it's super high-end intensity. So like you're just adapting differently. And I think now it's, Maybe at my age, I need to add that bit of enjoyment in there as well to keep you fresh and keep you motivated and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's no magic formula. I think, I think it, the way that it changes, you just kind of adapt with it as as you go along, and you either can't adapt to it, and you don't continue. But I don't think sat here like do you really see it. I think you're just in it, and it kind of turns. And you just follow it, yeah. really. So it's not, I mean, I think looking at it from the outside and not being involved directly in coaching, although I'm heavily involved or quite deeply involved in the sport, I don't really, I touch on the coaching stuff, but it's only stuff I read or when mm. I speak to riders. So I don't really know from a practical point of view what it is, but all we've noticed is is the way the racing's changed and then the way the riders are talking about it. So fundamentally, you have to you have to train for the, the new way of racing, you have to fuel for it and... Um, there are multiple reasons why it's changed, but I think it's riders willing to take risks, having fun, expressing themselves. Mm. Therefore, the races are opening up early. They're more unpredictable. There's far more spikes in effort rather than this consistent, gradual wearing down and then explosive at the end. It's explosive often from the very beginning, you know, in, in classics and stuff, they're opening up yeah. so early. The world is different. The whole and dynamic course design is interesting as well, especially in the Grand Tours. They're playing around with course design. So, um, but as you well, say, it's funny, you're... you know, like yeah. you have all this, but then like the Giro this year, it almost fell back to a traditional old school yeah, way guess... of doing things, you know? So yeah. there is that little bit in there, but and I think that goes back to what we said. You just got to expect the unexpected. And I think that, that fear factor is almost gone now. Whereas 
you know, like in the past, if you went out and attacked too early and you it fell apart and you didn't you didn't get the result, you'd get a grilling by the the DS yeah. or someone like that. And but now it's just everything like that's free game, isn't it? You know, if you want to go on a mad one, you know, as long as one. you're not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as like you're doing it in the sort of like the correct, yeah. correct way, not just as a TV attack, let's say. Yeah. Uh, then yeah, I mean, it's good. We enjoy yeah, it as, well, know, as well. I think it's good for the fans as well. It certainly, as a in my position as a commentator, mm. it's it's it, it's great. But what what about inside the team then? Because um, you've experienced a lot of lot of the highs. Um, you've been in the team when they have been the number one team in terms of their, their dominance. That isn't the case now, as we know. Um, mm. Lots of reasons for that, including unfortunate and very serious injuries of significant teammates like Egan, for example, a rider that you built a team around to win tours. Um, mm. I'm just glad, and I think all the team are, that he's able to ride his bike. But there are multiple reasons for it. But like Yumbo, dominant, UEE, dominant. What's it like being in the team where you're not exactly on the back foot, but you are chasing getting back, aren't you? I mean, um, and the whole, how's the spirit in the team in, in this this kind of, not transition, it's just the way things have, have, have turned, isn't it? You know, although Geraint came so close to winning it at mm. the Giro this year and you were part, part of that team, of course. But what's the spirit, especially heading into 2024 now, of what you want to do in terms of looking for a Grand Tour victory because that's what the team obviously want to do. Um, mm. so how are you adapting to that, to the dominance of two two different teams? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think, like you say, we we came on the scene. All right, that first Tour de France wasn't as successful as we wanted it to be, uh, but we were still quite strong. And I think from our inception, we've set the bar really high. We've almost yeah. been like a, a focal point for the peloton. Uh, we had a massively successful career, but at the end of the day, we wanted the whole sport to be better we wanted the sport to to improve but it's funny because I was speaking about this to like uh, one of the guys on the team actually and talking about it I don't think I wouldn't say we're worse we've not like all of a sudden had a peak and then a drop off it's just that the whole level of the sport now is is massive and that's almost a little bit well, I'd, I'd say it's a lot thanks to our team that we've set the ball, we've set the team. We wanted other teams to come up to the to the limit, or not to the limit, to the, to the level. But with that is, you can't be as successful when there's other teams that are equally as strong and equally as, or have got as much money and stuff as you. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a strange feeling knowing that we're going to these big races and, knocking on the door but not seen as like a massive favourite anymore but deep down I think the identity of the team we we know we're still one of the best teams we've, we've yeah. always been in like the top the top uh, three or four teams in the world tour so we're there we've not disappeared it's just now that apart from Jumbo who had obviously an amazing amazing year UAE have only really started to spread it around before it was just if you took Pogacar out there out, oh, of, out of their team then they wasn't really well obviously now with Adam and some of their other guys they're they're a great team 
but we're there we're close and i think it's we're still striving we're not resting on our laurels we we know where we want to be we want to get back and we want to be challenging for them for them tours but i think like you said you know we got second in the second in the giro uh the super super close yeah second the year before in the giro again super close won it the two times before that the tour de france it's not that long ago that egan and g and and then guys were on there and then they've been close g was on the podium last year so exactly it's not like everybody kind of says that it's it's not the team that it used to be of course it's not but cycling's not what it used to be anymore so but it's not like we've just disappeared no you know we're still there still knocking on the door and I do believe that if we keep pushing and keep trying and and keep progressing, uh, we've got the infrastructure, we've got the team, we've got the knowledge, we've got the riders, and it's just keep knocking on that door, and we'll we'll get back to our place. Well, before we wrap things up, mate, I'm going to ask you just two more questions. Firstly, it's quite a simple one, really, but your most most enjoyable day on a bike. Not necessarily a win. It could be a win. You've obviously won the Nationals twice. You've basically had that mm. jersey for nearly half a decade, didn't you? <laughs> Pretty yeah, much yeah, yeah. for a while after the COVID years. I was, it was strange seeing you not in the jersey for a, for a bit. But yeah, well, when you look it. back over your career so far, mate, um, what's the day that you're the most proud of as a bike rider? That's a hard question. I think... Oh, there's so many different defining moments, you know, like from getting unexpected results. But I think in terms of results, it's when you get that result, that kind of takes the shift of the happiness away. But I think one day when I, I'll always really like remember and look back, thought, like bitterly fondly about it is that day that I was, I think I was speaking to you about it. I saw you actually in the Giro when Sagan won his first stage in the Giro and we were yeah. in the break and Ghana was there and just the whole process around that day and then you know like even like I'm a fan of the sport and to be away and fighting with Sagan on terrain like that at the end it was like mano a mano and to do that with such an iconic rider was quite special in its own right but alright it fell apart at the end and stuff like that but just looking back at that day, how it came about and what we had to do to get into that break and stuff. Uh, perhaps not my best day on the bike, but it's one day that does stand out to me. It, I, I, I did bump into because I was commentating on the Giro on site and I think I might have seen the day after because Sagan went on yeah. to win, didn't he? And it was, there was a finishing circuit with this horrible climb, wasn't there? The steep I mean, stuff, yeah. Yeah, it was like a day of the Muro, wasn't it? One of those days mm. you were in the move um, and the brake crumbled away and you were one of the last guys that Sagan actually left behind. Um, mm. It wasn't that far from the finish, maybe 10K to go. It was yeah. the last climb, yeah. Yeah. I cracked on like a K to go. Yeah, and it was it was like 10, 12% climb that had already been up a couple, at least a couple of times. But the following day I bumped into it. It was a rare occasion where the start and finish were very near each other because I'm mm. normally at the finish and I was on my Brompton and you rode by and I think we still had to wear masks or something. But anyway... I rode alongside you and I went, oh, well, good, good ride yesterday, Swifty. And you were like, Mah. and you were like so excited because you were like disappointed because you didn't get the result you wanted. But 
you were still buzzing from the whole experience of it. Mm. And I remember you telling me the numbers and, I, and you said, Matt, you, I can't believe. And you said something like 340 or 350. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or something for that. And it was yeah. like 190K stage. And and it was more your you know, being involved at the very sharp end because you weren't given... And in that part of your career, you were working a lot for the team, but you were given freedom in that race because of obviously what happened. The team went on to yeah. win multiple stages anyway. But um, it was, yeah, to see you buzzing, it's really interesting that you picked that as one of the days that you enjoyed the most because it, yeah, it mean, was a brilliant bike race that day, wasn't it? No, it was. It was just a fight and it was just a whole about it. And I think just that, that whole year, obviously we had the massive disappointment losing G and it felt... I remember it felt like our world fell apart. That yeah, like we were that confident going into that race that we felt like we could do what we wanted, and then three days in, like everything went went to shit. But actually, everything went pretty well after that. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, and then there was other days. You're up there on quite a few a few stages on that on that particular edition. But yeah, yeah did, unfortunately, it, I was the only guy on the team not to get a podium. Everyone else got a podium apart from me. Yeah, Salvatore got, got second to Alex Dowsett, didn't he? In, in one yeah. of the stages as well, yeah. But hey, I mean, well, final question then, mate. It's been a pleasure. We've whizzed by. We're well over an hour now, mate, in, into into this. But it's been a, it's always a, a good fun catch, not mate. Well, but the next two years then, and and reading the little bit that you, it didn't up on Instagram, you, the, your role is might might be shifting ever so slightly. Um, you're clearly as strong as you ever were. You're clearly of massive value to the team. Otherwise, you wouldn't be given another two years. So clearly, you're keen. You're consistent. But what? How do you perceive the next couple of years? What do you want to achieve personally? Um, and because you talked about a little bit of freedom, so your role in the team for the next two years. What does it actually look like from your perspective, mate? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the a lot of the same, really. I think. I am one of the oldest salesmen in the team now, and I'd like to de- help develop it. Now, I've been watching a lot of like sports documentaries and different things a lot lately, and just seeing how different teams sort of interact and come together. Cycling is a very weird, a weird one where we're a team, but everybody lives everywhere. The team only comes together once or twice a year in like December training camps. Yeah. And then you have little pockets throughout the <clears throat> throughout the year. So I think I want to work with the guys on how we can bring that team unity a little bit. Not team unity because I think we're a great team, but there's something that can be done there. But I think on a personal on the bike, uh keep doing what I'm doing. I'm enjoying riding and I it's weird, you know, I enjoy putting in a good performance and getting the best out of myself but almost exceeding people's expectations of of what I can do like weirdly yeah. it's kind of nice when you're riding on the front and you can hear people like panting behind and they kind of just look at you and stuff like that it kind of gives you a little bit of extra of extra does. motivation you know yeah, and yeah. stuff like that so I want to give the best that I can I enjoy riding my bike. I think that's why I'm, I'm still here. I enjoy the process of, I really enjoy the winter process from getting really unfit to getting fit. And like, <laughs> uh, and just being the best that I can be, you know? And then if a personal result comes along, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to take it. I think what we touched on it before, 
as professional athletes, everybody wants to win. Yeah. And I think I was I was thinking about it not so long ago. I think throughout my career, I've I can look back on it and be really proud of it. I've achieved some great results. I've not been a prolific winner, but I've won I've won a fair share of races yeah. in different disciplines and uh, different trains and stuff. But you know, the one thing that really, apart from that, Milan San Remo, but I think that dreams that dreams long gone now is I've been close to a Grand Tour stage win so if if I ever had the opportunity to try and tick that off it'd be nice if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen it's yeah. first and foremost it's giving myself whatever the overall goal is and stuff like that and and doing a good job there but if some opportunity comes then why not brilliant stuff mate well that's a nice way to end it mate and uh, I'll be seeing you I think I'm going to join you guys at the camp in, uh, in December at some point mate as well so um well, you, you take care of yourself, Ben. Um, I'm looking forward to bumping into you on the road at some point next year as well. But until then, look after yourself. Thanks very much, mate. Great stuff. Thank you for having me. I know what you're thinking. It's about time we had a guest with good caravan knowledge on the pod. Well done, Ben. That was top carapodding. Yes, that's a new verb. This podcast was produced by Noel Gaffney on behalf of Hot Chili. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to any riders in the South Yorkshire area who fancy taking on Ben Swift at the next local 10 mile time trial. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye.